0: Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming from Washington. I'm the founder of the Bee Podcast Network, of which Cybertraps is a proud member and author of the books School X and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education.
1: Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York, and actually recording from there today. We are remarkable. <laughs> I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices.
0: Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit Centerforcyberethics.org. The CyberTraps Podcast
1: is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, which is a 501c3 independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training and public advocacy so hello there jethro
0: our schedules match up <laughs> i know crazy and uh unfortunately this one isn't going out live because we couldn't get that to work and we've been on a bit of a hiatus over the summer and good for us to take a break every once in a while but we're glad to be back and uh, have some good interviews coming up and some good uh shows with just me and fred so uh as the school year gets going, I think it'll be a little bit easier to do more interviews because <laughs> nobody's <laughs> available in the summer, we've learned.
1: And and God bless them. You know, That's I, right. I think it would have been a shame if people were lining up to be on the podcast in July and August. Yes. So for those of you whose vacation plans have come to a screeching halt, reach out to us. We are always looking for good guests to talk about Cybertraps issues. So just one little uh, update for listeners. We had talked about the... Uh, upcoming shows that we were going to be doing from ghana in october um excuse me september but that's been bumped out to march uh because things were moving a little too slowly at the u.s embassy over in ghana yeah but that is uh, now locked in and beginning march 1st we'll be doing a really remote uh, yeah broadcaster too
0: yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun and we did have awo on the program before so you can search her name out on cybertraps.com and and hear our interview with her she runs child online africa which i think is just going to be a great uh great thing for you to be working with them on the other new thing that we want to mention here is that the cyber traps podcast is now part of the b podcast network which is a podcast network that i started um to bring all these different kind of shows under one roof and be just a great place for people to go to get education adjacent type of podcasts so really um Cyber Traps is one of them transformative principle my other podcast is another uh two new shows one called resilient schools that is hosted by um james moffett which is uh, really good about trauma-informed practices in schools mm-hmm. Um, cool. had a lot of requests for that kind of stuff and uh, want to provide something out there to help people find something and then another one is called the authority podcast as you can imagine we get authors who want to share their books all the time and sometimes they fit and sometimes they don't and i've had to turn away authors who've written really great books um, because they just didn't make sense for either one of these shows transformative principle or cyber traps and so this is a way to to make it so that people can have access to that great content um, and not me feeling like I'm betraying the, the idea of what the podcast is there for. <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> well, that's actually really good to hear about Jethro because I, I interact with a lot of different authors, as you might imagine on Twitter yep. and Facebook and so forth. And if there's one thing, authors are always looking to do. It's to talk about their exactly. books. Yeah. So if you want to tell us where people can learn more about the network and the shows, uh, why don't you pass that on and I'll, I'll reach out and let people know.
0: Yeah, so we are actually currently working on the website still, but it's bpodcast.network or bpodcastnetwork.com. Either and one of those. B, both goes not in. the little insect? B-E, yep, as in beyond education. Ah, excellent. Ah, very good. Ah, I um, like it. So and then the last show that I want to talk about, I'm actually really excited about, but also extremely nervous about. It's called My Bonus Money, and it's me talking about passive income and how to earn that as an educator, Uh, because I believe that educators should be financially free before they retire. And I've got Mm -hmm. a few cool stories about that of people who have been able to retire because their passive income became more people who were able to start their own schools because they were making passive income so they didn't have to uh, rely on those golden handcuffs or that paycheck every month and so uh, some cool stories and then I'm also documenting my journey of what I'm doing and how I'm bringing in money for different things so. Um, So I'll be sharing that. And that's the nerve wracking part is I'll be sharing (laughs) like money that I'm making, which uh, makes me a little nervous. I'm not going to lie, but I think that it's going to be helpful because you don't have to start out with a whole ton of money or start out with this big audience. You can just start doing stuff wherever you're at. And and I want to help people be financially independent. So that's that's my idea there.
1: That's, that sounds like, honestly, a noble cause, and I will listen to that one with a
0: great deal of interest, <laughs> let me assure you. Um, Very good. I appreciate your support. All right, let's well, get into our topic for today.
1: Absolutely. Let's do that. So, Our topic today, Jethro, um, is sparked by my hometown newspaper, uh, The Boston Excellent. Globe, which is uh, now... Sadly, owned by the New York Times, which is a little bit like the Yankees buying the Red Sox, but and <laughs> be that as to be it heartbreaking. Me, it, it, it hurts deep down. But the the specific editorial that they wrote the other day was entitled, um, you know, basically, uh, it's time to get rid of um, uh, smartphones or phones from schools. And they they were being kind of cheeky about it. They said, "Sorry, kids, no more phones in school." Um, As we usually do, we've got links to these various articles that we'll be talking about today in the show notes and the outline of the general issue as we see it. Uh, For those of you who have been following the Cybertraps podcast for a while, we did a version of this back in episode 90 in November of 2021, and it seemed like a good time to update this for a couple of different reasons. It seems like there's more interest now in limitations on phones in schools than there were even a year ago than there was even a year ago and people are looking at the impact of the pandemic a little bit differently now you know in terms of the amount of screen time the amount of isolation that kids have experienced and so forth so I think schools are getting more skeptical about the Mm -hmm. use of phones Um, so anyway just a couple of things to kind of frame the conversation in doing the research for this particular episode, it's absolutely clear that this is a global issue. Uh, there are articles from you know the UK, from Australia, from Canada, uh, obviously across the United States. Um, we're dealing now with a class of high school freshmen. And this is the thing that really uh, blows me away. Yeah. So the kids going into the 2022, 2023 school year were all born after the iPhone was introduced. So their perspective on the world and their use of technology, completely different, even than their older siblings. And I guess this is a question I really have for you, Jethro, you know, since you talk with educators every single day. To what extent would this movement reflect a de-emphasizing of screens in the classroom in general? Or would you say that it's just as powerful as it was?
0: Uh, To be honest, I don't think that this de-emphasizes a focus on screens in in school at all. I think what we're seeing here is that because of the pandemic, everybody has a device. Therefore, you don't need to bring your phone anymore. Before, your phone had some justification because teachers were using it to do things in class. And this, I don't want to get too off track, but I'll say briefly and then we can... We can come back to it another day but this brings up the idea of how much do you use your personal devices for things that are not personal and and the blurring of the lines between personal and business or school and if you are on the school's network you should have no expectation of privacy on your own personal phone and if you are not using your phone at all then you know using the school's devices you're not going to have any Um, privacy either so I think that it's it's an interesting thing to talk about and think about where those lines are and and whether or not you Mm. uh, you know I would think that from a I, I see real justification for schools to say you can't bring your phone or you can bring it but it stays put away you don't use it at all because we give you all the tools that you need to do it and and i think that there's a lot right now there's a lot of support for that and in my schools i could never do that because teach one teacher would say i'm kids are using their phones for this and another teacher would say kids are not allowed to use their phones at all and you know even if we had a rule that no phones are allowed teachers who want to let their kids use phones are still going to let their kids use phones
1: well this is one of the things that that comes up. I mean I I agree with you by the way putting a a pin in the idea of yeah. you know what are the boundaries of device usage on the school campus particularly for educators would be you know a really great topic for us to dig into. Mm-hmm. But in terms of looking at the potential objections and concerns about phone bans one of the things that popped up really pretty closely to the top was this idea that it's almost impossible to enforce a complete ban like you're describing
0: yeah, it it really is, and you're not gonna you're not gonna go dig phones out of kids' pockets um, as a principal or as a teacher, and it is nearly impossible to enforce. So the and 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 why I'm saying I think there's more justification for it now is because there's like I said there's less need for you to use your own thing, and the tools are all provided there. And to be honest, um, <laughs> the kids. They're doing all the same things on the devices that the school provides also so in right they're using their gmail or microsoft accounts to to chat with each other and uh and do you know whatever whatever they would need to do anyway so uh, Mm -hmm. they're commenting in google docs as a way to have a conversation with people like kids are going to find a way to connect with each other and you know it used to be just passing notes and now it's One of 700 different apps they could use to connect with each other.
1: Well, and I think that's a low estimate. And, you know, actually, (laughs) your referencing of passing notes actually gives me kind of a shiver looking back (laughs) on my school. I know. I don't know exactly why, but I'm sure there's a story in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) In any case, I look your point in terms of the justifications for you know more restrictive approaches to device you know to personal devices, is is a good one. I'm I, one of the articles that uh, I took some time to go through was about this school in Western Mass called Buxton, which is a private academy out there, and they're really talking about the fact that they can do a more restrictive approach. In fact. They, in fact, are doing a full ban. But the, the reason they can get away with that is, in fact, exactly what you said. All of the kids have laptops or tablets or what have you. They've got Internet access. So there's no real loss of contact. There's no real loss of ability to do things, you know, in terms of being on the Internet or being connected. So I think that that's an important piece of it. I do think when you look at justifications for limiting access to stuff, That the evidence is growing increasingly compelling, though, about the ability of kids to focus in school, uh, the grade performance changes that you see when devices are reduced. Uh, You know, I just knowing myself as a writer, how important it is to turn off notifications Mm -hmm. in order to get anything done. And look, you cranked through a fairly good sized manuscript last fall. You know, I can't imagine you did that with your smartphone beeping
0: at you. No. In fact, I, I almost never have notifications on and I have my focus set that during the workday, I don't have notifications. And to be honest, I've missed a lot of things because I've been focused on working and haven't mm. seen text messages come through. And, and that, But that's by design. I want to not be distracted because when I'm doing something, I want to be able to be focused and get that thing done
1: well right and and people talk a lot about that in terms of monotasking and and really being able to do what is it um, there's a there's a phrase for it it's like deep thought but something along deep those work. lines Yeah. deep it's work a book by yeah. cal Newport thank you that's yeah um who hopefully you'll talk to at some point about all of these issues but look i you know that's that i think should be self-evident to all of us as we look at how our mental processes have changed Mm -hmm. over the last decade plus um but another piece of this that i think is really fascinating and this is directly pandemic related jethro is the impact of all of this uh, you know what we've seen happening with remote education on the socialization capabilities of kids, and so some of the school administrators, like you know you are, are basically saying we need to restrict the use of devices so that kids learn how to talk to each other again. and face that, to face
0: that is a very real issue. Um, and i've I've heard recently a school has started m- multiple principals who have talked to me about kids not having the skills that kindergartners and first graders especially not having the skills that kindergartners and first graders had three years ago. And, and what specifically are they seeing? Yeah. So uh letter and um, uh number fluency, like understanding and recognizing what those are, mm-hmm. where they, they had come in with some understanding uh, kids wanting to write their names and that really being bad. <clears throat> I've heard from teachers of older grade students that they're, penmanship in their writing has decreased significantly compared to where it was before the other thing with uh with kids in all ages but especially in kindergarten and first grade excuse me is their their interactions with their peers and in in the past kids would meet each other and just you know start doing stuff or talking, maybe they'd be shy for a little bit, but then they'd start playing something and and they'd get over that. And now, like, if there's not a stimulus there, then they're not going to be doing anything and they'll just sit there and, and wait for something to happen, <laughs> uh, which just sounds crazy, doesn't it? But it really does. That's, I... that's what we're facing. So I think there's a, again, another big justification for that happening. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsors.
1: Well, actually, now that you mention it, I think, Jethro, I want to start selling T-shirts with one of my mother's, my, my late mother's uh, favorite sayings, which is, your boredom is not my problem. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and actually, when we get our swag store put up, that'll be. <laughs> yes, I like <laughs> because, it. Because look, the you know, hand in hand with what you're saying is that when kids are not being fed stimulus all the time they actually do have to figure out how -hmm. to entertain themselves how to keep themselves occupied and many administrators quoted in these articles talk about the importance of taking devices away so that kids can have that creativity Mm -hmm. you know in terms of what they're actually doing how they're keeping themselves busy and i i fully agree with that and obviously the computer programming is brilliant, but it's still a locked box in terms of the options that kids have available to them. And so when we take that away, we open up a whole universe.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing because you can make the same argument for having devices that, you know, you don't have to be able to draw on a piece of paper. Anything can be your canvas when you have a device. Mm. and. And while that is that is true, um, you have to learn how to do that first, and like, and it comes back to those same things that we're talking about: of focus, of being able to control yourself, all that kind of stuff. And uh, you put a quote here uh, from John Kalapos, a Buxton history teacher and tech committee chair, who says, "I think great ideas come from boredom," and there's some real truth to that. And it is very difficult to be bored because every time we're bored, we pull out our phones and, and go to whatever our thing is that makes us less bored. And I regularly run these little experiments on myself, uh-huh. um, where I take off apps that are that are, I'm devoting a lot of time to on my device in a way to help me use it better. So right now I don't have any social media on my phone, <clears throat> except for the Be Real app. Have you done that one yet no i've heard about it but i
1: haven't (laughs) i haven't done it yet
0: all right so So talk about that yeah so what i like about that one is that that is a small group of people that you are friends with that you share what's going on in your life at that moment and you get a push notification that i never see by the way because my notifications are off so (laughs) i pretty much always post late (laughs) but the idea is that everybody checks in right now this is what i'm doing Doesn't matter what you're doing. You just snap a picture and it does a outward facing and a front facing camera picture. So you can see your environment and and what you're doing. So it's, it's pretty cool and I like it because it keeps me connected with a small group of people instead of, you know, it's just posting stuff to everybody out on the internet. And it's very tightly controlled of who can see what you post. Like if you want to add a new friend, you can't even see their pictures You just see their name and the the profile picture they chose to share, and that's it. And so I like that idea of being really simple and focused. Mm. And, you know, once you go in there, like, it's not in the scrolling like Instagram and Twitter. And so you just, you can spend two minutes and then you're done, basically.
1: Oh, that's kind of cool. You have
0: to try it. It is cool. It's a unique take. Um, they've done a pretty good job with implementation. And once I finally got friends, then it was enjoyable. <laughs> well,
1: hopefully you'll be my first. when I test yeah. it. <laughs> Well, there's yeah. that interesting, um, there's that interesting app recommendation. I think in terms of our presentation today, though, in our discussion, I know, of, sorry, I always no, go off, off topic. That's, that's quite all right. In terms of, res, of, of restraining kid use of, um, phones or devices within the school you know people may be interested in the approaches that different schools have done now obviously just a flat blanket do not bring your device onto campus is yeah. in some ways the the easiest to announce probably less easy to enforce for the reasons you talked about yeah. um, some schools have had success with a partial ban you know in which they you know, I guess it's a little bit like some kind of drug dependency. They, you know, kind of ease the kids <laughs> off a little bit by saying you can look at your phone when you're walking between classes or at lunchtime or something like that. One of the companies that is having tremendous success in the school space right now is a company called Yonder, Y O N D R, because again, we don't use all our vowels anymore. Yeah. Anyway, so I need to try. I, why they would kind of align themselves with Grindr, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. But be that as it may, Yonder is um, a uh, what? what's the what's the cage? It's a Faraday bag. Uh-huh. So basically, the idea is that it blocks radio transmissions, which means the phones can't get any messages, can't make calls, etc. It was originally started as a way to make concerts more enjoyable and to minimize the chances of bootleg music being done and stuff like that. So the idea basically is that when you walk into a venue, you're handed a pouch with a magnetic lock and you put your device in the pouch and then lock it. And then when you leave the venue, you hold the pouch up to a unlocking magnet Mm -hmm. and you can pull your device out. So they have been selling like hotcakes to schools and it's, you know, not, Tremendously cheap. It was, I think the implementation is somewhere on the order of, you know, 3000, but then there's a yearly charge because then you need the hardware for the locking, unlocking, so on and so forth. Advantages from the kids' perspective is that they can hold on to these pouches. They can even personalize them if they want. Um, They know where their device is. So they prefer that to situations where. You know, the administration, for instance, wants you to drop off your device at the start of the day, that kind of thing. Um,
0: And and let me just talk about that real quick, because this is a really important thing there. I I don't have the studies cited, but that the they've done studies that show that just having your phone um, next to you makes you want to check it. But also having your phone away from you gives anxiety to people that they don't know where their phone is and it's missing. And this is interesting because you know that my, my kids don't have, um, smartphones, uh, but they do have, uh, like iPads and iPod touches and stuff. And, um, and my daughter who's 16, like if anybody leaves their phone somewhere, she like brings it to them. So they have it because she, she thinks it's bad to be without your phone. And, Mm. and so she just takes it everywhere she goes and, you know, as, as my second daughter is entering high school, we're thinking like, should we give her a cell phone because she's Mm. doing sports and out with friends and stuff. And we want to be able to get in touch with her. And it has been difficult to not be able to get in touch with her this summer, for example. And, you know, sometimes there's miscommunication about picking up and dropping off. And I'm saying this because those having something like a yonder bag where the phone is still with you, um, but if your parents do need to get in touch with you during the day, that eliminates that opportunity, right? And that's one of the big reasons that parents say they don't want phones banned is so they can get in touch with their kids whenever they want. Right. And it, and that's so a real issue, too.
1: It would absolutely is. And when you look at the school security issues and when you look at some of the threats that appear, I mean, the stories are absolutely heart-wrenching where you've got kids calling from under a desk or a closet or something like yeah. that. but you know, that's irreplaceable for a parent in terms of knowing that their child is safe. A solution to consider, which I I include in the show notes just because I thought it was really interesting, is this uh, quote-unquote light phone, L-I-G-H-T, yeah. which is, I, I hate to use the term because it's, it's a pretty sophisticated piece of electronics, but it's actually in the category of quote-unquote dumb phones because it doesn't have you know, social media apps. It doesn't have a lot of the distractions, a lot of the gaming and so forth. But it's a phone that uses an e-ink screen, very much like a Kindle. And you can make calls, you can get text messages, you can do all of the basic communication stuff. You can store music and listen to the music, um, et cetera, and so forth. But the goal there is to produce a communication tool that doesn't have all of these other distractions built in. So, yeah. you know, definitely something for people to look at. Um, yeah, I actually sure. think it kind of has a cool factor to it, but yeah. maybe the kids wouldn't agree, honestly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I think the other thing there is um, that's really challenging is that the adults in the building model yes. good behavior by following the, the rules about it as well. And this is the other part that I didn't talk about before that made it virtually impossible, that – teachers are on their phones as well and you know this this goes back to an employer employee kind of situation of what is appropriate and should you be should you be on your phone while you're at work and depending on what your work is that changes Mm -hmm. you know whether or not that's appropriate but you know i texted my teachers all the time and always told them to have their phones uh on do not disturb so that it wouldn't be dinging in the class but you know, that's, that's an easy, fast way to communicate with people about things that aren't necessarily urgent, but, um, but somewhat urgent, like more urgent than an email that I know a teacher is not going to get to all day long. And, um, and I would Mm -hmm. text them because I knew they'd be on their phones, texting their families all day too. So (laughs) it was like, I know that's what you're doing anyway.
1: Well, I, I couldn't agree more about the role model thing. And, you know, as we were emerging into the mobile device era, you know I my kids and I certainly had some back and forth about exactly that mm-hmm. and survey after survey shows that kids are really bothered when their parents are not communicative or seem to be ignoring them because they're using their devices. Yeah. and I'm sure the the same thing is true for uh, kids in a classroom. you really want your teachers' attention. and as I wrote about in cyber traps for educators, there's some real dangers that can pop up in a classroom if teachers are not being observant or not paying attention to for, what's going on. So
0: for sure.
1: we're happy to have people read that book and see the examples. You know, in all of this, Jethro, I want to just toss out this funny story that I saw uh, online at one point that when administrators and educators are putting together their policies on how to deal with these things, you do have to think through the potential consequences of whatever rule it is you select so one of my all-time favorite april fool's jokes was played on a teacher because the teacher had a very strict rule that if a student's phone rang during class the call had to be put on speaker uh-huh. phone. <laughs> yes so the gag for this was that um the kids set it up so that Uh, a student would get called in the middle of class. And of course she puts it on speakerphone and it's another kid pretending to be the nurse with the results of her pregnancy. Oh my gosh. So the teacher is like losing his cool, like turn it off, turn it off. Nobody needs to hear. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, it was, it was really beautifully done. And, and when you think about creativity, right. Looping back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, you know, we should acknowledge that kids can be wildly creative in terms of how they use these devices. So we're not saying that devices are the death of creativity. It's just that there are, there's a balance as always that needs to be considered.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that it's, it's really, really tough to make these decisions in schools. Um, And there are, there are, uh, there's pushback from parents that they should be able to contact their kids whenever they want. There's, there's wisdom in that. There yeah. is, <laughs> there's pushback yeah. from kids that they should be able to have devices and be able to use them as they see fit. And, um, and I think it's, it's really a, a, a conversation that you have to have with lots of people before coming to a stance on it. and, there are a few links in here about um, how kids are reacting to these, to these bands. And, you know, the, the Torrington, um, was that? Uh, that's in
1: Connecticut, Torrington high school. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they pulled the fire alarms because they didn't want to, um, to, to protest basically having this ban put in place, which, you know, that's, that's not a good way to protest kids, but at the same time <laughs> it sure gets attention and, and you know that's that's a big part of protesting as well, and it's it's challenging to figure this out. And I don't think that there's a, I don't think any blanket statement is going to be the right choice. Even uh, Bill De Blasio, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I I've set that up wrong. Uh, if a if a school district made a blanket decision for the whole district, or um, or something like that, then that would be really challenging because there are different circumstances that that would contribute to that making it very difficult.
1: No, absolutely true. And, you know, I think that as you know, having, I mean, you've administered at all grade levels and you're not going to have necessarily the same policy for every grade level. I mean, you would want kids in, you know, fifth grade, presumably to have a different set of rules than some kid who's a junior or senior in high school. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think we have to acknowledge as adults and as administrators that one of the consequences of the internet is the degree of sophistication that mm-hmm. the kids have. You know, because they have access to all this information and and all of the various social media things, they're. I think they've matured faster <laughs> certainly than I recall uh, doing when I was younger, and they, I you know, electronics really changes the playing field. And so the conversations you're going to have with these kids are going to be very different. You know, mm-hmm. that the, the kids are going to have very good arguments for why they should be allowed to do X, Y, and Z. And you're absolutely right. Those conversations should be had with them because now they've got a real stake in what's going on.
0: Yeah, totally. They do. Um, and and they can articulate that as well. And I think the um, the other thing here is that there's, there's a pressure on schools to also provide a way to deal with these things that are addictive, that, um, that they really have very little control over. Social media apps and phones and games are designed to be addictive and you wanna be in there all the time. And that's, that's putting a lot of pressure on schools to have a, a plan for dealing with kids who you know can't help but look at TikTok uh, all day long and then do it all night as well and there really has to be a collaboration between parents and students about how to make that actually work and be effective because it, you can't you're not going to be able to overcome that if the kid has a phone in their room and they're watching TikTok till three in the morning and falling asleep and looking at it and oh all that it's just not yeah. gonna the school's not gonna be able to overcome that
1: Well, and I can't tell you how many issues you're touching upon, Jethro, when you talk about that, because, you know, the study after study shows the impact of not enough sleep on kids, you know, the the physical changes that arise from using devices all the time. And we haven't even touched upon all of the data we're funneling to China through TikTok. So that's another whole topic for us to discuss. Look, I think that um, with respect to all of these issues that we're talking about today, the key really is the amount of conversation and the amount of collaboration a school can build with the rest of the community because the school may be a starting place for these policies because they have a very specific pedagogical goal mm-hmm. that they need to accomplish. But that goal has to be supported by the other players in the community, as yeah. you're saying, the parents, right? Yeah. I mean, and quick shout out to raising cyber ethical kids which is you know a wonderful way to talk about these things with your kids and with the people in your
0: schools. Yeah, absolutely and and go search for that on Amazon. We've got an audio course that's different than an audio book where we talk through that whole thing that you can definitely get as well and and I just think in closing here uh, we need to whatever we end up deciding if one side decides it without the other in communication, then there's going to be a problem. So districts have to talk to uh, to staff and teachers at schools. They've got to talk to parents. They've got to talk to students. And I believe we can come to an agreement about how to do it well. But it's going to have to involve all of the interested parties to be able to figure that out. And you know, any one group saying this this is what we're going to do is just not going to work. As we've seen, by the way, with parents buying their kids' phones, not mm-hmm. thinking about what it's going to do to the school. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, that
1: is actually a brilliant place to wrap up this particular episode of the Cyber Traps yeah. podcast. Come on, people. Talk to each other. That is all we ask. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Cyber Traps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the
0: risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have guest suggestions, topic suggestions, or just questions. You can also see the other shows on the B Podcast Network at bpodcastnetwork.com. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this show. And if that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating. And we look forward to seeing you next time on the Cybertraps podcast.